Hi, and welcome to Deep Dive with Jamie Stein, where we take a deep dive look at all things reality TV, pop culture, and the world at large. I'm an intuitive and an empath, which means I pick up on the thoughts, feelings, and energy percolating in other people in the world around me. I believe there is meaning waiting to be found at every turn, if you're willing to see it. So join me as we dismantle everything from trash TV to high spiritual concepts and learn more about ourselves, each other, and how we're all connected. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Deep Dive with Jamie Stein. I know it's been a minute since we've had a new episode. I ended up going on an unexpected hiatus. And so I guess I would say this is the official start of season three. So welcome to it. And my apologies for not letting people know (laughs) the hiatus was happening. Um, Like I said, it was unexpected, but I had to just follow the call of my creative rhythm as the summer got underway. And yet, here we are, we're now smack dab in the middle of a new season of The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and so I thought no better way to kick off a fresh season of The Deep Dive than to get straight into our Hollywood cast of characters, and no better person to help me jump into these muddy waters than longtime friend of the podcast, Piper Sample. Hello, Piper. Hi, Jamie. How are you today? I am good. Good. Really super. I'm, I think we always do this on a Friday. So I'm always like, yay, I'm going into the weekend. Well, I'm glad to have you here. Glad to have you back. Grateful for your presence and uh, wisdom that I know is going to come through and support this. It's what I'm anticipating to be a difficult journey. Um, just because, you know, I mean, I think there are a couple things I want to say up top. I'm finding this season of Beverly Hills to be strange. It reminds me, actually, I remember when we last spoke about um, Salt Lake City. I think we ended up calling it Theater of the Absurd. And Beverly Hills is feeling a little bit that way to me, too, this season, where the cast is just so discombobulated and both as a group but then also so many of the individuals they just feel so disconnected from the truth of what's really going on and so I find myself watching a lot of these episodes and seeing these women fight amongst themselves but I'm not even necessarily fully understanding what it is they're actually fighting about because I don't know that they even know what it is they're actually fighting about so it's a strange season which makes me both a little nervous but also a little excited to jump into it to see what we discover i know there's kind of a lot of different threads that we could unravel especially now with what's going on between sutton and diana but i have to say that i've been very 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 drawn to i guess what has comprised the bulk of the beginning of the season in terms of this thread with Crystal trying to make something heard and once again finding herself at odds with the group because of her word choice. In this case, she mentioned that Sutton said something dark last year and it became like a huge focal point around which the whole cast 
um, was sort of orienting itself. And I, I've just been drawn to it for a number of reasons. I, I think, one, what I've seen a lot in the audience are people really, in a way, kind of siding with the majority of the cast and really um, finding fault with Crystal and kind of labeling what she's doing as dangerous and manipulative. And I, I know <laughs> I actually found myself very sympathetic to her in this situation because I, I did. I really experienced her as someone who was trying to have something heard. Now, I'm not saying she was doing it perfectly, and that's part of what we can explore. I think there are ways she kind of fumbled the ball, but I also understand why, I think, why and how she fumbled the ball. But for me, fundamentally, what I saw is someone who's trying to make something heard, and it's getting shut down. And so for me, I both have had a lot of compassion for her in that place, but I've also been really drawn to it because this is literally the second year in a row where this has happened. And so I always like to look at things in terms of pattern. And so we're getting to know Crystal and we're literally seeing a pattern repeat itself two years in a row where she's trying to express something that's clearly deep and personal to her and the group is shutting her down. And not only is that pattern repeating itself, but it literally two years in a row becomes about the use in definition of a word that she used Mm -hmm. as opposed, as opposed to like what's actually really going on for her. So I just think that'd be an interesting thing to explore just as a way to also explore this larger notion of, you know, all of us, how we maybe sometimes unconsciously recreate patterns in our lives. And and what do we do to sort of keep these patterns in motion? Because I'm assuming this is this is a history for Crystal. I'm assuming this pattern has existed before coming on to The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, even energetically. So I'm curious about that for Crystal. But then, of course, I'm also really curious about what Crystal brings up in the group because I experienced them as so deeply unwilling to hear her, hold space for her. It's almost like I experience it as just this this, this energy of attack and like shutting it down with a vengeance. I mean, even when I say that, my body starts to get kind of like alive and electrified. And so I'm curious about why this group has such trouble tolerating what Crystal's trying to bring through and their response to it and kind of what is going on on a deeper level for everyone involved. And maybe as we explore that, we can get some deeper clarity about just what is even, what is this group organizing around in general this season? Like maybe we can get some clarity about like the deeper themes of the season. Because again, to me on the surface, it just seems like such a clusterfuck. So I definitely start thinking about the things that I've made contact with in my own self, observing them and sort of watching the show and like you deeply questioning like what what is the theme of this you know there there's it feels like like this is reality tv right and then there's these layers of reality and so i'm kind of interested in what what is actually real here because there's there's something that gets skirted or pushed away and held in some way that doesn't allow a deeper truth to come forward. And I'm interested in that. Yeah, exactly. And as you're talking, just my own perception of Beverly Hills, literally from first season to now, as almost like the the language I'm hearing is it's like getting away from itself. 
feel like when it started, it felt so much more grounded and rooted in clear, nameable, personal drama. <laughs> and the characters or the, you know, the people, the cast characters on the show felt largely present to what was actually going on, you know, on camera and in their lives. And it just feels like as time has gone on, I guess by virtue of the cast members and the situations they're in, it does feel like we're getting more, like you said, and like I said, further and further removed from the truth of what's going on. And now, yeah, they're just fighting about things that to me feel perhaps miles away from what they really want to be fighting about or discussing or acknowledging. Yeah, or actually moving through. <laughs> Get like resolving. I don't feel a an intention to resolve anything. And I'm, I'm interested in, in that. It feels like it's like these little wounds that just keep getting barely scabbed over and they get plucked open again and bleed out. But that there's there's actually no attendance to what's emerging. It's It's just like this constant picking. Maybe we can feel that, that question of what is the deeper truth? Yeah, of course, because that's what's so intriguing to me about this crystal situation is that literally here is this voice trying to bring something in and saying, I'm having an experience. This is taking me somewhere. And this is why I'm getting ahead of myself. But in terms of the current season, this is why I've been more on Crystal's side with all this, because I hear her saying things like, I am triggered. I'm having a response to this. I get this has nothing to do with X, Y, or Z. It is taking me some. She's trying to articulate something. She's trying to find that crack of light, right? And to create space for it to shine more strongly so they can get somewhere. And then again, it's just like the energy around her won't tolerate it. And you see how they Mm -hmm. react. It's like, boom, nope. Like, we got to patch that over. Not only do we not want to hear it, you're wrong for even bringing exactly how dare you bring in a question that is in some way going to challenge the narrative that we're all writing and agreeing to and they're calling it a manipulation this is where i'm just so confused by their perception of manipulation i i'm with you on being behind crystal you know like really hearing her really trying to say for herself in this group this is my experience with you and it's a personal experience that relates we've talked about this before i think on other podcasts around the difference between systemic and personal and how when they're not named in a way that identifies what exactly is being talked about the personal jumps in to defend before there's any room to have something larger come in. And so that's what it feels like to me. It's like something really big is actually trying to come in and they just keep squeezing it and narrowing it because they're so offended. And, you know, this this sort of fragility around being implicated as dark without even knowing what dark means, or there's a way that they can't tolerate someone saying I'm having an experience if it's not their experience. And Crystal even said that that was one of my favorite moments of the season when she said in La Quinta, she said something like, you guys can't validate someone else's feelings unless you understand it. 
And yes. it cut to Lisa Rinna. Like, Lisa Rinna's face, it was like her operating system combusted. Like, <laughs> you could see the wires suddenly got askew. And, yeah, exactly. Sparks flew from her head. And again, that's kind of why I was like, Crystal's, she's trying to do something. And I see places where she's... Again, I kind of call it fumbling the ball, but I think she's trying to do something really powerful here. And I think that's sort of why I feel for it, because she just feels so alone in it and she doesn't have the help and support that she needs. And I say this, by the way, just to be clear, I'm not even like Crystal's bigger, biggest fan. It's not like I love everything about Crystal, but in this situation, I just I yeah. feel there's something she's trying to bring that's powerful. So I kind of just felt like, you know, it would make the most sense just to go back back to last year and revisit it because again when I kind of feel into what Crystal's bringing out this year obviously it feels very connected to what happened last year and I feel like there was this experience that she had last year this is why it breaks my heart for her and it feels so tragic I feel like she had this experience last year where something there was something for her that was important to get heard and it didn't get heard and I think she's been, I think that was really painful for her. And I think she's been holding on to it. And now she's trying to get it heard again. And so for me, I just feel like we can't quite address what's going on for her this season if we're not going back to last season and kind of, yeah, revisiting what it was that she wanted heard. Just to kind of refresh people's memories, you know, obviously she was already in conflict with Sutton. Just about the whole walk in situation where she got walked in on. Right. Well, so that that was kind of what set off this motif prior to her getting walked in on. They were already having personality conflict. And then, they, you know, Sutton had her moment of white fragility where she wouldn't let Crystal talk about her experience as a Chinese American. Uh, so they were already at odds. Right. And then, yes, Crystal was in her bedroom. She was changing. She was naked. Sutton, I guess, in an attempt to like be friendly and pacify things, went to bring her her coat and sort of knocked, but briskly went in the room, caught Crystal naked, uh, I guess sort of embarrassed, Sutton played it off and was like, oh, what are you doing in here? Put the coat down and left. And for Crystal, she felt violated by this. And used that word, which was highly triggering for everyone. I'll just cut to the chase. I actually did a little solo episode of my podcast back before Crystal had kind of revealed more about her personal history. And I sort of dropped into her getting caught naked. And I remember at that time, like when I felt into this notion of being Crystal and um, being caught naked, like I could feel this very vulnerable relationship with my body that like for me as Crystal being caught naked, it's not the same thing as maybe someone else getting caught naked. It's not casual it's not funny. It's like, this is where I feel really vulnerable. And I, I kind of left it there for the sake of the podcast because I didn't, even though I acknowledge this is a playful exploration, and it is, and I don't know these people, so take everything with a grain of salt. I'm still mindful of how deep I go into some of these threads. But I feel like now with the way it's unfolding, I want to go a little bit deeper into what comes to me. And again, just with the caveat, I don't know, Crystal, this could be completely off. But having said that, when I do drop in, my experience of Crystal and her relationship to her body, I mean, it is kind of like metaphorically, like what happened with Sutton could be the metaphor. It, it feels there's something around boundaries here. 
And there's something around for me as Crystal around feeling some experience of invasion. Now, that doesn't have to mean literal physical invasion. I'm not saying X, Y, or Z happened to her. It could be energetic invasion. It could be emotional invasion of growing up in a household where like things were coming like hard and fast emotionally. But an experience of like there's something coming in that I'm sort of internalizing in my body and I don't have agency to say no or to stop or to have a boundary. And it's almost like, I mean, you guys can't see me at home, but it's kind of like I'm, I'm like caving my chest in and I'm kind of covering myself. And so, yeah, there's something about the way I've internalized the sense of invasion and my lack of capacity to say no. It, it feels very vulnerable and it feels also like my disowned boundary that I want to have gets turned against myself. You know, I'm kind of saying this now, you know, it feels to me like, you know, if I were talking to Crystal, I might be curious how this might play into her eating disorder, you know, things like that. So the reason why I'm sort of saying all this is I kind of got the sense that part of the reason why that moment with Sutton was so violating to her, one, was because she feels vulnerable being naked, but two, that it was specifically Sutton who caught her naked. You know, that it might have been a different story if it were someone else, because my feeling with Crystal I think that there's been a lot of compensation if there was kind of a lack of control early in life, uh, feeling like th there's not room or space for me to have my boundaries, to have my no. This is a woman who feels very regimented. She feels very controlled. She's got sort of the perfect life. Everything's put together. And part of my feeling was, yeah, she, part of her is triggered by Sutton because Sutton's the resident weirdo who's a fucking mess. She's eccentric. She's rolling her face. She's crying all the time. You know, she stands out in her neuroses, whereas Crystal is someone who just she fits in she's a cool girl she's a popular girl she's got everything figured out again on the I, outside exactly as kind of like a defense mechanism it's like it's all put together you're not going to catch me off guard right this is where i have power this is where i have control and i judge sutton in a certain way for being that messy weirdo over there so when sutton of all people catches me in this vulnerable place that i don't want anyone to really see and I kind of experience it as like, oh, that lumbering weirdo barreling into my room, making this joke. It's, it's just like it's the whole experience of like you break all of my rules. I'm supposed to have like power and leverage over you. And now you're catching me in this moment that is perhaps bringing me back to this early experience of vulnerability connected to a sense of violation, of invasion, right? So this is all just to say, obviously, I felt like that moment took Crystal somewhere very deep in her history. And where I think things got a little murky for her is that it was difficult for her to separate intention from impact. I think because uh -huh. of the conflict with Sutton and because uh -huh. of what Sutton triggers in her, I do think there was a part of Crystal that wanted to make Sutton weird yeah, wrong. wrong for what she did. And it's kind of your fault that I felt this way rather than being able to clearly say, I get your intentions were good. It took me somewhere else. Like the impact was different from the intention. So that's why I say that's sort of one place where I see that she kind of fumbled the ball a bit. Like she didn't seem to have that, that kind of clarity and awareness. But having said that, Last year, she was trying to say something, which was, this is how I felt. And when the women started to push back, she did start to concede, no, I get it. 
she may not have meant it. No, it wasn't sexual, but like, this is how I felt. And exactly. What, and what was so interesting in that is that the women were so hung up on that kind of maybe murky place where there was a bit of blame or the word she was using that it became all about that word choice is wrong rather than okay. We see that maybe Crystal's confused, but she's trying to say something here. So can we slow this down and give her some space to kind of explore and work through where this might be taking her rather than just telling her she's wrong? When people are actually experiencing a triggering event or an overwhelming, you know, situation, we can disconnect from clarity because we're managing this shock or this sort of unexpected thing that I'm having to manage. So as you were saying that, it's like, I want to say that I can understand why Crystal did not have the clarity um, in that moment because she was reacting to what happened. You know, she was actually in a reaction and those words were relative to her experience at that time. So like in hindsight, later when she can, when she's out of that context, when she's out of the actual experience, she does have a little more room. Mm -hmm. And then that's where the, the women were unwilling to actually meet her where she was right then. She, they kept take, trying to take her back to this experience that she had been in. That's what I don't quite understand because it's like the defense around being called a perpetrator or a violator or, you know, something that holds that kind of weight. They, they put this into some manipulative, like she's manipulating something and you sort of touched it. It's like the blame, you know, like I, I I'm feeling this way and I'm going to blame what I am seeing as my trigger, you know? So the blame kind of got left out there and that's what they stayed attached to the group as a whole. I don't know why it's so difficult for them to sit back and go, wow, that was really a lot for you. Just that. Yeah. And then what happens is they get fixated on the word violated, right? Mm -hmm. That becomes their sticking point. And then what happens for Crystal, who to your point is kind of in this state of confusion, because again, if we trust this information, right, that there was some sort of early sense of violation for Crystal that she wasn't allowed to name or say, it's like present day, that inner child in her is trying to work through something. It's trying to kind of use this opportunity to say, hey, wait, now is when I want to have a boundary. Now is when I want to say, hey, I I'm there's a violation here and it's not okay. And so there's this confusion, right? And suddenly the debate becomes about the word choice. And so for Crystal, it's kind of like she then has, because she also doesn't have the presence of mind in her confusion to say, wait a second, like we're losing the plot here. <laughs> Throw exactly. out the word violated. I'm having experience hold space for me. And instead she starts to engage with them on this level because I think there's this self-protective mechanism in her that's saying, no, I have a right to take this stand. I have a right to my feelings. So let me, I guess, engage with them at the level they're engaging me with. And now I'm suddenly defending the word choice. She's literally breaking out the the dictionary definition of violated in her defense. 
And so it's like suddenly she's playing their game of arguing about this thing over here, which is like, what does the word violated actually mean? And and it, it puts her in a losing proposition. She now has to justify her word choice, which isn't really what this is about. I mean, I feel like if she had kind of the consciousness of the presence of mind, like the voice would want to be like, guys, you're not seeing the bigger picture. Like, drop this. This isn't like what this is really about. Drop Sutton. <laughs> I'm struggling. I'm in pain. Something happened. Can you hear me? Can you see me? And instead, it's just, yeah, everything just organizes about the word and why the word is wrong. And she has to suddenly defend her use of it. It puts her in this bind because it's kind of a losing proposition because she's in this confusing place where she's still confusing intention and impact. If you go back and watch that dinner, in one moment she's saying, I get that that wasn't Sutton's intention. But then in the next minute, she's saying something else where I forget what it was exactly, but basically where she's saying, like, I'm not going to let Sutton off the hook. It's clear she's having trouble separating the two. So it's a losing battle for her because there is a way in which she's confused. And so then it's like... They're forcing her into this corner where she has to concede defeat and say to them, you're right, I was wrong. Which is, I think for her, another way of saying this feeling of violation, which is very like real for me and historical and vulnerable, is completely invalidated. And I understand her digging in her heels and wanting to be like, no, I am not betraying myself that way. Something has happened, meaning historically, something has happened here, and I have a right to speak to this, even though she's doing it imperfectly. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think that you see it like this season where she's sort of in that position a few times. And there's one very particular episode where it was at a point where she was being forced to actually say some say these words. And I almost started crying because she did. And I was like, if I had been in that room. Oh, my God. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, I know. No, I was furious. It was Sutton sitting there literally saying, say these words. I, OMG, if I had been there, (laughs) let's just say Sutton would not have received her her wish. What would you have done, Jamie? Oh, I would have, I would have interceded. I would have interrupted in some way. I would have just, just said, Sutton, you're being incredibly patronizing. You're talking to her like a child. She's free to say what she wants, when she wants. And by the way, Crystal had already apologized. She'd already apologized. What does Sutton want from her? Exactly. That's the dig. It's like, Crystal has a voice. She says, stop. And it gets barreled over and over. So Sutton is someone who does not accept a boundary. You saw it even just in this last episode with Diana. I know. Kept touching her. Like, don't touch me. And she keeps her hand there. And it's like, she is the first person to say you're crossing something. Stop it with her big freakouts. And yet she just goes in. And this is also part of why I've been on Crystal's side is because there have been so many times in this where Crystal has said, and I want to say even before she brought in the word dark. So if you're someone who's really riled up by that, because yes, I mean, is it irresponsible in terms of like the speculation? I guess it invites in from international audience who are watching this on TV in terms of sudden like, yeah, I get that. I don't think it was intentional on Crystal's part. But even before the word dark came in the night before when all this went down, there were at least one time, if not more, where Crystal said, I'm done. Like, let's drop it. I'm done. 
which I kind of like have really respected. I'm like, wow, I, several times throughout this, I've seen her have a boundary where when the group makes it clear they're not going to hear her, her response is, okay, I get it. Agree to disagree. We're done. And then it's yeah. fucking ringmaster Kyle, usually. Or Garcelle. Well, that's, a, I mean, that I really want to get into the Garcelle of all this. But typically ringmaster Kyle, who she goes back and revisits it. And it's yep. basically, no, it's not enough to drop it. Crystal, you have to admit that you were wrong. You have to admit, you have to see it our way. And again, that's just kind of like, to your point, that's why I've just been so much more sympathetic to her because I'm like, look, this woman is saying something. She's saying, stop. It's a boundary. And no one is respecting it. And so again, part of what's coming through me in all this from the place of pattern, I just keep wondering about core experience of something's happened here. There's a sense of violation that's not being witnessed, not being named. But then I wonder in Crystal's history, in her childhood, like in her adolescence, if there if there was a flavor of the experience of quiet down. You know what I mean? Of like her trying to say something and people being like, no, Crystal, invalid. Uh-uh. Actually, you're wrong. Actually, agree to the family narrative or the system narrative, you know, hearing you talk about like Sutton crossing boundaries, it's just so interesting how there's just this motif. If we track like my own intuitive possible hit of energetic violation and then Crystal trying to say something about it and then people not hearing her and turning it around on her and being like, well, Crystal, what words are you using to describe this? And oh, that you're irresponsible for even bringing this up. And you have to actually agree to the way that we're seeing it. It's like violation on top of violation and violated boundary on top of violated boundary. And that's why I was so drawn to this situation. Because again, we're seeing it play out two years in a row for her. And look at the crowd that we're talking about also. Who's rallying around Sutton and Crystal's sitting there all alone, even with Garcelle there, as someone who I would imagine understands this position in some way to be on the outside. I think Garcelle even went through that first season. Yes, Yes. exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And and for her to somehow be my my perception is that Garcelle's having a hard time witnessing externally Crystal's experience. It's almost like I don't want to feel that again. I've worked through this, you know, like that, that that's my feeling with her. It's like, that's actually not what's here, even though it is what's here. I've worked through it. So just let it go. I don't know. There's something very cavalier about it that instead of really sitting behind her going, yeah, I understand. I was, I've been in this position. It's just, there's no room for her experience is really what it comes down to. And she, I think on some level gets that and knows it, but keeps getting chided to bring her perspective, knowing that it's going to get shut down. And what a conflict for her to be in, to say, I want to fit in here. I want to, I want to show you who I am, pieces who I, but you don't want to see it. You actually, you're, you're saying you want this, but you don't. And here are all the ways that you are showing me that you don't. I mean, she's really on top of actually seeing it. I think it's the being able to communicate it. And I can understand why it's like, there's no opening. Yeah, you'd have to be a ninja to like know how to navigate this group. But yeah, I've definitely picked up on that flavor with Garcelle. 
absolutely. Garcelle went through something very similar last season. And it's interesting. We even talked about this. I think when we were talking about the reunion of Beverly Hills, it kind of felt to me, Rinna never really took responsibility for the way that she navigated that Garcelle situation. And I don't think the group really, I don't think the group really got it. And I remember there was kind of this bullshit, you know, making up, you know, Rinna gave her a shallow apology and Garcelle pretended to accept it. And I remember us actually talking about this notion of Garcelle kind of making a choice of kind of knowing she's going to, in a certain way, have to go along to get along if she wants to continue to be on the show and be in this group. And, you know, as I've been kind of watching her this Mm. season... And watching how she's showing up and, you know, certainly playing the game a lot more Mm -hmm. than I think she did before. Definitely stirring the pot a lot more. It's almost like I've been curious about, you know, was there, whether consciously, unconsciously, semi-consciously, kind of a decision that was made to kind of like put on her armor, to show up, to do the thing, stay on the show, reap the benefits. And that, yeah, when there's someone kind of on the other side, like Crystal who's really letting herself embody a certain type of vulnerability related to, you know, this experience of being an outsider, the unspoken systemic piece, all of that, who's in the vulnerability of it, in the complexity of it. I've been wondering if there's something in Garcelle that's kind of like, I'm shutting that down because I don't, I'm not giving myself space for that anymore. You don't get space for it anymore. I don't want to know it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to look at it. Like, let's be... (laughs) Play the game, sister. Biz- Play business. the game. This is business. Yep. Yeah, so something got shut down in Crystal. Something was never acknowledged. Something was never seen. And so then this season, right, suddenly she's seeing... This is the thing. It's so murky and convoluted because initially it's almost like Crystal was speaking in defense of Sutton. So she's seeing the women, in particular Kyle, really come after Sutton for the way that she reacted to the news of Dorit's home invasion. And Sutton has been trying to say something around my reaction came from my trauma. She's apologized. I believe Kyle, for some reason, still wasn't letting it go. Somehow it was still a topic of conversation. And so first Crystal comes in saying, I think in Sutton's defense, like you guys have trouble taking in other people's experiences. Like you're telling Sutton, how she should behave, how she should react, how she should be feeling. And this is sort of similar to what happened for me last year, right? Yeah, yeah. And then the women have a reaction to that. She then pivots to last year, you guys gave Sutton the benefit of the doubt and were telling me she didn't mean anything by and giving her all this grace. But now this year, you're telling her the ways in which she's wrong. And I guess pointing out that discrepancy, but basically Crystal's being brought back to a place of something wasn't seen, something wasn't heard, and it's painful. And then I'm trying to track how the argument even developed and what Kyle got offended by. I can't even like make heads or tails of it because it becomes so murky where the second that crystal brings something in the women get so immediately defensive i think kyle's main issue was like how can you compare these situations meaning like i'm entitled to say you were wrong (laughs) 
about your word choice of violation. And I'm also entitled to say, Sutton, you're wrong in the way that you acted. I'm entitled, period. Let's just leave it at that. I'm entitled to my experience, and I'm certainly not going to give you any room for yours. Bottom line, that's Kyle. And so I think to go back to kind of the question you were asking earlier about what what happens for these women that they can't sort of hold or tolerate the space, I did kind of start feeling around into Kyle a little bit. And for me, taking Crystal in, I mean, there was this feeling of like, this is nonsense. And I felt like a charge around it for sure. And then I kind of started like asking myself, like, what would it mean for me as Kyle to slow down And again, I think there's something really interesting about the way that Crystal is presenting because I do think there's something a little regressive here for her. I think this takes her to a young place and there is something sort of childlike you can almost feel about the flavor of the vulnerability. Now, what's interesting about that for me, that makes me curious in an empathetic way for them they get very triggered by it. And to your point, they call it manipulative. And so as Kyle, I'm kind of sitting there taking Crystal in, in this sort of almost childlike, vulnerable place where something's trying to come through that maybe doesn't make full sense, is nuanced in some way. And I can feel it. As Kyle, nuance is not my forte. I want things neat and orderly emotionally. And where it started taking me was the fact that, look, I mean, I don't know how much you know about this or what you've heard, but I actually read the freaking Paris Hilton biography, you know, by all accounts. Kim, Kyle, Kathy grew up in a nightmare household with like a nightmare mom. And, you know, people always, I mean, we see it with Kim. I mean, the trauma is all over her, right? And people are often wondering, like, how did Kyle emerge so functional, right? But like, this is the place where I kind of start to see it. I just hear this voice in Kyle that's like, this is where we put everything. It's like, this goes in that drawer, this goes in that drawer. You react about this thing, you don't react about this thing. Get it together. Like, crystal stuff over here, get over it. Nonsense, dramatic. And I I almost feel like that's the voice Kyle and Kim were hearing. Like, I just feel like that's their mom. Like, if they're upset about something, if they're experiencing the horror of their childhood, it's like... Like, get it together. Like, we don't have time for this. You know, what is the sensitivity? No time for these ridiculous, childish feelings. And so it's almost like if Kyle were to create space for that aspect of Crystal, she might start having to look at her own disowned places where there's complicated, nuanced, vulnerable feelings about things that she's experienced in her lifetime that, you know, to me, it feels like she very well could really be compartmentalizing in a really deep way. You think? (laughs) All I kept thinking about was the seasons between Kyle and Kim. Kim is really messy. She has a lot of feelings. There's not a lot of containment. And Kyle is very contained. And she just wants to have a good time. That's always her. Come on, you guys. We just we're we're here to have fun. Like, let's not talk about all this messy stuff that's happening here. But then she can't seem to do that. I think there's such a deep anxiety in Kyle. Mm. Like I, whenever I feel her, it's just like, oh, to slow down is asking her to make contact with 
all those compartments. Even just the way that she likes to resolve things quickly. And she'll even say, I don't hold a grudge. And even though it kept pissing me off the way she kept saying to Crystal, like, just promise me you're not going to wait a year next time. You know, and I'm just kind of sitting there like, fuck you, Kyle. She can wait as long as she fucking wants. Crystal gets to have her process. Not everyone's on Kyle Richards' accelerated timeline of compartmentalization. Kind of like a Lisa Barlow. She likes to fix things. She wants things to be resolved and she wants to move on because, like you're saying, she doesn't want to look at it. And I do think it's so interesting, right? Because it's, it's almost like that skill at compartmentalization is what's probably in large part allowed her to be so successful and functional, right? And so it can almost be easy to really overlook the ways in which she might be every bit as terrified. I mean, you called it anxiety, right? But I think if we go deeper and deeper with it, right, like there's a real fear there. She might be every bit as afraid as Kim. She's afraid of everything. Oh, yeah. She was the one who was like had to get hypnosis for her fear of flying. Uh, Everything. Anything that is outside of being in the water, like she's freaked out about everything. And we've seen the glimmers of her rage. You know, we know that rage is deep and intense and it's come out this season again towards Crystal, some towards Sutton. But part of what I was sort of asking myself as I was exploring this, is there are moments and times where Kyle is very, quote unquote, empathetic. There are times where she's in her feelings and she's vulnerable. But as I sort of look back on it, it is, it's kind of always in these places where it's, well, this is where it's right to put it. Like, of course, when Dorit, when Dorit's life is threatened, this is where I can show concern and empathy. And this is what it looks like. These are like when my daughters go after college, this is where I can connect with deeper feelings because it's justified. It's right. It's neat. It's categorized. Well, it's also something she can relate to and with. Mm. I've had I've had things stolen from me before. And her experience in some way, like she projects that onto other people. Also, I can picture her and Mauricio and PK and Dorit after the home invasion. And they're there for them in some way. But it's still, it's about Kyle's inability to, I remember what that was like. Or, you know, it's like it goes back to her in the same way that, Sutton does that Mm. thing you know like I I see a similarity with the two of them the way that they connect to what's happening externally is to kind of go through the Rolodex of their experiences and then meet it from that place instead of making space yeah like hey how are you doing over there with your experience that you had? Yeah, I don't need to fill in, you know, like I think it's a, a, a way they've learned to connect in some way or feign connection, but it's actually, it fills in so much space that there's really no room for anything else to come forward. Yeah, it's so interesting too, because I was just thinking about how Crystal drew a clear boundary that first night and said, we're done. And how it was Kyle who brought it back up again. And I was just sitting with that. I was like, what is that in Kyle? And it really was this feeling of, again, if I'm Kyle and Crystal just says it's done without kind of filling in the gap, a.k.a. agreeing with Kyle, (laughs) basically validating that Kyle is right, that Crystal was wrong. And as Kyle, I'm left with that space and I just have to kind of walk away in, in in the ambiguity, in the lack of resolution with the awareness that there's someone out there having a different kind of experience that's not comfortable for me, I, I just felt rage. It was just rage. And so as Kyle, it's like, I've got one of two choices here. I either have to strong arm this woman 
into agreeing with me so I get that hit of like, okay, everything's like, I'm right, you're wrong, everything's tidy again. Or I'm going to have to tolerate and look at why I'm so outraged by this and talk about triggers where this is taking me in my history, which obviously Kyle does not want to do. I think that's why there's that energy of the feeding frenzy and why they start to feel like bullies because I think there is that energy of, oh no, we're not done. It's kind of like what Sutton was doing to Crystal. It's like, we're not done until you say the fucking thing. So I can feel more comfortable. Exactly. What I was just feeling when you were saying that as Kyle is, I don't even know if this is true, actually, but I I had a flavor of it with uh, having her sister sort of on the show and things being revealed in terms of like, when there's conflict in their family, they get cut off, they cut off each other. There's a place where that space where something actually could settle and, and find maybe a softer way towards resolution, a slower way towards resolution. That's where I feel her anxiety come up because I think those are the places where something historically in her life has been, that's where I lose the people I love. That's where there's a threat of no resolution ever happening. She says she doesn't hold a grudge, but there are grudges that have been held against her, you know, in a place that she doesn't feel there has been a a mutual understanding and by mutual understanding that, like you said, we agree with what I see. That's right. the only way there's going to be a mutual understanding. And I think people have left her there and said, fuck you. No. Just got this flash of just really feeling for her how they're, I mean, this is perhaps stating the obvious, but I felt it. Like she never had an experience of there being room and permission for her rage. She was not allowed to have feelings about what was happening. And I, I can just feel you know, their mother's name was Big Kathy. Just the way that Big Kathy really inducted them into just a family narrative and a way of thinking. And this is how things are. And this is the way things go. And for anyone to challenge it or question it, it's like... Is it about appearances? It's just about the whole setup. It's just about what's happening here is normal. There's nothing wrong with what's going on here. And like kind of what I say goes. But, you know, I mean, look, you see it just even in the way the sisters relate to each other now. But there was like a lot of triangulation, a lot of setting them against each other in competition. And, you know, it creates obviously a lot of mutual resentment, jealousy, like I said, competition. And I can imagine if you're growing up in a household like that, first of all, it's going to feel completely natural to have those feelings if they're being fostered and encouraged, right? And if mom's sort of playing everyone against each other, but then you're going to feel tremendously guilty for having those feelings. You know, there's kind of like the gaslighting element of it. It's like I'm being set up in this triangle, It's creating these very sort of human responses, you know, in this place where I'm just kind of like a child who's sort of trying to survive and navigate all this. Now I feel guilty for the way that I'm feeling. Part of me knows on some level this isn't right. But if I speak up, I'm the one who's on the outside. It's just it's a clusterfuck. And also feeling how much how much heart was there, too. And like how much Kyle loved her mom, loves her sisters. And so how confusing that must have been for these women, which is part of what makes them likable. They do have these hearts. There's something kind of warm about them sometimes. It's such a confusing upbringing with the cruelty, the love, just all of it. Yeah, as you were sort of illustrating this triangulation in in maybe the familial system of Kyle's upbringing, I was just sort of feeling into the women in terms of uh, like a system 
and thinking about who Crystal is to these women. What who does she represent either internally for their own things that they tuck away and hide, you know, like we identified with Garcelle, but also this need that Kyle has to sort of, you know, it's like a dog with a bone. She doesn't want something to slip underground. She wants to take it and put it in a place that she has labeled and, you know, said, this is where this belongs and everybody's going to agree to this. And Crystal is basically trying to say, no, you know, like, I I don't know why I keep feeling Kim here, but it's like, my recovery, my my way of organizing myself up to date in this up to date version of self requires some autonomy. And you don't get to you don't get to control this narrative here. And she keeps trying to pull back and Kyle keeps, you know, like it's like a, a, I keep grabbing something like if I let this go underground, something's going to fester. It needs to be in this neat little box. Mm-hmm that everybody has agreed upon. It's got like diamonds around it. It's clear. You, Everybody can see it for what it is, but it's defined by the way I see it. It's not actually what it really is. And it, this speaks to the, the place where I've been confused. Like what is actually the, the truth? Everybody's trying to put their spin on what is happening. And it feels like it deflects or presses down the emergence of something to actually become alive and teach them something to actually say, no, this is what I am. Like with crystal, like the, the deeper truth of, Hey, I live in Beverly Hills, you know, as a Chinese American, I'm, I'm, I'm around all these women who refuse or seemingly cannot tolerate an experience that I'm having in relation, not just to them, but related to who, 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 I, who I am and who I represent in, in this circle. What I hear is that something just keeps um, getting overlaid on top of her that, you know, like, like the word gaslighting, you know, like it came in in the weirdest way oh, totally. in, in one of these episodes that I'm like, Kyle, like grabbed this term and just threw it at the wall. I'm like, okay, you are the biggest gaslighter I've ever met. So I don't understand why you're using this right here. Oh, no, the the hypocrisy of all the words they kept throwing back at Crystal throughout all this, like gaslighting, dangerous. Crystal was told she was a dane, like what she was doing was a dangerous. And I'm like, well, why? Garcelle came in and completely minimized what happened between Crystal and Sutton in terms of like the white fragility conversation last year. But you're not, that's not dangerous. But what Crystal's doing is dangerous. And why is it that Crystal's not allowed to use the word dark, but you're allowed to use the word dangerous? There's just so much hypocrisy in all of this. But when you were bringing in this question of like, what does she represent? As I was thinking about Kyle not being able to tolerate maybe an energy that embodies deep vulnerability in kind of a messy, uncategorizable way that's nuanced and childlike. It just got me thinking about the other woman, you know? And I just started thinking about Lisa Rinna. Obviously, like, she's the hustler. She's the breadwinner. Even just thinking about that story about her mom who survived being almost killed by that serial killer. I just started feeling like, again, I'm not saying this in a critical way. I do think there's this way that Crystal's embodying the wounded child or the vulnerable child. 
And I almost like see this group of women around her who are kind of like, kind of like what we're saying about Garcelle about this is business, get the job done. Mm -hmm. Like adult women who have survived a lot Mm -hmm. and who have been making it work and survive. Mm -hmm. That feels like a key word, like surviving by making things work, doing the thing, dusting themselves off, hustling the hustle. Mm -hmm. I, I do feel this flavor of like when they look at Crystal over there, it's kind of that contempt for the one who allows space for the lost, confused, sad child who's trying to make something seen and heard. <laughs> Dorit's, I mean, again, we don't know that much about Dorit's background, but there's a similar kind of Dorit gets to it. And again, she's like a businesswoman and she she does the thing and she disconnects. I mean, certainly Erica Jane has been making a whole lot of choices to survive in her life. I just started sort of seeing a bit of a pattern of almost what I would call like grown-ass women doing Mm. the thing and surviving and then sort of looking at Crystal in the corner kind of with an attitude of get the fuck over it. Especially if, I I don't know how much Crystal's shared about her back. I mean, I know now she's wealthy and she's married to Rob, the director. I keep having this feeling of her as growing up wealthy. Maybe that's not true. I might be making that up. But my experience of the women's view of her is kind of like rich girl problems. Spoiled little rich girl. Dismissive of the wounded child energy. Which again, I think that's part of why we're hearing them say things like playing the victim. Dramatic. Yeah, definitely. It's like that place where it's really hard to tolerate somebody bringing in something that they can't tolerate in themselves and have, you know, sort of pushed aside, stepped over in some way to be in the positions that they are now and really have a disdain for it surfacing or activating the thing that they just stepped over to get where they are. And was thinking about this season being, I mean, I don't know if we're post COVID, but you know, we're on the other side of something. And I was thinking about all the different, like Erica's gone through this big thing. Dorit just had this thing happen. There, there seems to be like a jockeying for a position of resilience. And there's a way that Crystal embodies something that they have a hard time tolerating. I think it's a different type of resilience. I think she knows something about her experience in a way that actually can say, all right, I'm trying to bring it. Okay not the audience. I'm, I'm here to let it go. But as you mentioned, the way that she brings it in is slightly, it's just not practiced. It's not, I could imagine supporting a group like this, you know, to, to help her recognize what's personal for her, what's systemic for her, and maybe take things off the personal, the personal things that are happening and helping her articulate what this group means for her to be a part of this group from a position of being a Chinese American woman with a bunch of people that have had a different experience than her and don't recognize or aren't willing to see or hear about the type of experiences that she's had. It's almost like if I didn't have this experience, it's actually not real. It hasn't happened. It's you're making it up. You know, I think about many people that I've been in connection with that I can remember. I remember walking into a restaurant with someone, somebody who was black, and there was like a fright in her. 
like it was something that just was like, I, I don't want to be here. There was something in her body that was like, I, I, I can't walk in here. And it was like, you know, totally a white, <laughs> white area. And she couldn't name what it was exactly. But then after she told me what it was, and I remember this was years ago where I was like, I can't imagine having that experience. And I was trying to say, you're not, you know, I didn't say this out loud, but in my mind, I was trying to go, she's not, she's looking at this from a different lens than I am. I could see that. And her lens is wrong. Nobody's trying to get her, you know, like Mm -hmm. nobody wanted to harm her. And if I would have said that out loud at the time, oh my gosh, I can't only imagine what that would have done. But that's basically what I hear these people doing. It's like, rather than just sitting there and letting her have her experience, even if they don't need to do anything about it. I want to offer them, if I could offer them anything, it's like, can, can you just listen to someone else's experience? Without trying to manage it or resolve it. It, the, the external, manage and resolve your own thought process that's going on internally for you. But I think that's the part they can't tolerate because right. it takes a lot from experience. I know it takes a lot when I'm sitting across from someone who is really saying something that is so counter to my understanding of things. It, it, it can activate, oh, I don't, I'm missing something. I don't get it. And if I'm not willing to soften around what I don't understand. And if I'm really connected with a need to be right, I'm not going to be able to tolerate the sensation or the actual activation of being in a position to not know something. Yeah. And to even to listen, even if you don't agree with it. I just know from personal experience, some of the most powerful experiences I've had come from those moments where, I mean, this is more interpersonal rather than like dealing with systemic issues, but in conflict, someone saying their experience and me being very clear that that's not what happened. And, but also just kind of like understanding that's, that's their experience of it. And if it I happened for them that way. <laughs> yeah. And if I don't need, if I don't need to be, if I don't need to be Kyle, if I don't need to be seen, if I don't need to be heard, if I don't need to be validated in my version of it, can I just take in, this is how they're experiencing it, whether I think it's right or wrong or not. And I, I just know from experience, like in the times where, that's occurred for me, it has created openings that wouldn't otherwise be there. Now, those were moments where I was willing for whatever reason, you know, I don't know the alchemy of that moment. Like it just did no longer was important to me to be seen in her other times. It's harder, but it does get me curious if it were a year ago, because now I feel like the issue is mutated, right? Mm -hmm. Now it's not about the original inciting incident of the violation. Now it's about what they would have to tolerate if they took in her experience of feeling shut down by them. But it does make me curious if a year ago they had been able to hold space for her experience of violation without challenging her around the word. Going back to your question about like what's inside the diamond studded box, it just makes me curious. Like what would have happened? Where would it have taken them? Is there something there they would have had to tolerate? If there were space for Crystal to really go all the way into her experience of violation and where that took her? Just holding her pain. 
you know, I don't think they're adept or skilled a lot, you know, at like holding someone else's pain when, when they haven't, like I said, they step over in order to appear resilient to, you know, they, they've done well, obviously that, you know, they're, they're fairly functional human beings, right? So it's not like they're not dealing with their lives. They're in relationships. They're doing things. I just want to make sure I'm not coming across as a, like I can feel the place in me where it's been hard to actually make room for other people in the places that I haven't done my own work. And so I can understand that position. And it's harder to do it, I think, when you're functioning. When you have, when your life looks a certain way, it's like you can be in a position where like, I'm not the one having trouble here. The issue's not mine. People ask about Lisa Rinna all the time and kind of like, can she change? You know, will she change? And it's like, well, look, you know, I have to imagine for someone like her, like her hustles worked for her. And I have to imagine there's somewhere inside of her that's kind of feeling like, again, I just keep going back to that story with her mother, which for me just, I don't know why that, that's that, that sort of horrific life or death almost being murdered it just sticks with me for some reason about the flavor of some sort of energetic that she grew up around that was in the ether what i've always heard with arena even before finding out about that story is it's kill or be killed that's kind of how she operates and so it's like you know i gotta imagine for her it's a real feeling like if i drop the hustle it's kill or be killed. Like I might get killed. I might lose everything that I've worked for. Like to your point to them, it's like our hustle works. Uh So let's not stop now because who the (laughs) F knows what's on the other side. But it is interesting because as we talk about all this, it's helping give some shape to the season where I'm like, I'm looking at this crew of women and I'm like, these are like real survivors. Like that's what it feels like to me. These are women who have survived a lot. And then it's actually interesting because the two who feel kind of like the exceptions to me are Crystal and Sutton. They just feel a little bit younger. They feel a little less weathered. They feel a little raw, more vulnerable. So it's interesting that they were at odds. Now they're not at odds, but they are kind of like in a corner together it's just kind of i mean not in terms of like friendship right like sutton and garcelle are together crystal kind of feels alone right now but when i take in the group as a whole i see those two together in their own corner yeah and what's interesting also as you were naming this theme of survival i think that's the place up top when we were talking about okay what's what's the reality versus the distortion and when you were, were talking about that, I could feel, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're still behaving like they need to be in survival, yeah. but they clearly don't. And it's like, oh, what if they all just took a breath and like went, we're okay. Like we're, we've actually accomplished a lot. We want to just hang out here and see each other. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it has something to do with area, sort of the vibe of, Beverly Hills in general, you know, it's even when they're on vacations, it's like there's nothing relaxing about their exchanges. It's always very uptight and 
aggressive and ugh. well and then i think yeah i mean i think if they were to slow down i think they would have to i mean i think there's a lot they'd have to feel but certainly i think they'd have to feel the underlying anxiety i think they'd have to feel the fear i think they'd have to feel the terror like i re- especially with lisa rinna i feel that it's like it's the hustle for the sake of the hustle it just keeps her energy moving 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 mm-hmm. and she just never has to stop but it feels to me like it's just built on nothing it's just what is it it's this qvc empire does she even care about it it's like motion for the sake of motion keep moving at all costs i'll stop when i'm dead it's kind of like how i feel it with her this is kind of also helping me to understand my reaction to mauricio and kyle it's interesting because i experience mauricio as so checked out in a way and i'm always aware of his like marijuana use and i've always just been so curious about it because i'm like there's a way in which they feel like they have this really loving relationship but us speaking to kyle's compartmentalization and the things that she's not looking at, I'm like, oh, this suddenly makes so much more sense to me. Like now I'm experiencing them both as two people who really know how to compartmentalize. Because I feel in Mauricio, like I've just explored a little bit around his marijuana use and what he might be buffering. I just felt like this rage. So it's interesting to me. Like I said, it's just helping me to contextualize their relationship in both places. Like that these are two people who actually do love each other, but it's almost like, There's a collusion there around how they run their lives and the way that it helps them both to keep things looking really good on the outside, but really emotionally compartmentalized. And feeling really good. Like to me, they believe in this system, this way of being like, this is, this is good for us. We have a beautiful life. It's like, well, to keep telling ourselves that this is good as it can get and it makes me want to actually say, have you guys tried mushrooms? You know, like Isn't it interesting like how often they move? Kyle's already talking about moving again. It's like fourth house. I, I don't know. Maybe that's more normal than I realized. My parents still live in the home that I was brought into as a, as a baby newborn boy. But it's just interesting, like that notion of being on the move. What's next? What's next? What's next? Talking. And it's upgrading too, right? right? It's not just moving for the sake of moving. It's more yeah well adapting to their lifestyle like what i heard was we're gonna have a bigger family let's have a a palace where everybody can come i really feel them as people that are have a strong value Mm -hmm. related to family you know and i i appreciate that about them i feel like that they're very family focused and centered and i think what you're saying in terms of their relational style it can feel odd in a way because it's just different, but it works for them. Well, that's what I was saying earlier. It's like the love, like the heart is there. The love is, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I don't love Kyle, but I feel her heart. You know, I feel her humanity for sure. And I think that's what makes her likable when I find her likable. And I think, yeah, to your point, they've created a home that has heart and hearth and they clearly care about their daughters and they care about family. Actually, as you were talking earlier, I actually started to feel really sad for Kyle. Like when you were talking about the construct she's in and believe like them believing that this is actually good. Cause I, yeah, I just, I'm feeling it now. I just feel sad. It's like, Oh my God, there's so much more. There's so much more in the place where you have space and permission to go into these feelings that have been compartmentalized and claim the truth of what's been and to go towards your humanity. Like there's just so much more, even in terms of like your relationships with your sisters whom you clearly love. I can feel this inner conflict of when you had this mother who by all accounts was like a nightmare, but you loved her. I'm sure 
it's very possible that it's created this either or scenario where it's like, I have to somehow find a way to compartmentalize the horror in order to still feel this love. Or like there's an image. If I acknowledge what actually happened, it means the love gets thrown out the window. And it's like, no, actually you can have both. You can be in reality with what happened. Say yes to your terror, to your rage, to the complexity, and also your love. And actually, that's probably where your greatest gifts are going to be. Of, I mean, from a soul level, like if we go with this notion, as I do, that we choose these lifetimes and these families to come into, you know, I think that's what Kyle's soul was hoping to experience the richness of. And I think when you were asking what Crystal embodies, that's hard. I think it's that. Right. I think Crystal has that capacity to sort of have more nuance and it's not either or, it's yes and both. She also has a lot of heart. You can feel, at least I feel she has a lot of heart. And she has a, a connection to family, feels very primary to her. And she's willing to say, I've been hurt. I have issues. I organized my life in, in at different times in different ways. And I'm I'm trying to continue to to grow and understand what happened what's happening right now. And I think that that's challenging for Kyle. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, so let's bring Garcelle a bit into this. And yeah, it feels like it'll kind of complete things. Again, it's so confusing and murky to me because initially Garcelle's advocating for Crystal. She's the one saying, Crystal, come back to the house. We want to hear what you have to say. Garcelle was even sticking up for Crystal the night before. Yeah. She invites her over. Crystal says her piece. And they kind of get somewhere. I mean, look, it's not resolved, but they kind of smooth it over in that Beverly Hills Real Housewives way it's resolved. It's done. So then Kyle says her fucking annoying thing about, now, Crystal, will you just promise me that next time you won't wait a year? Like, once again, we're on on Kyle's timeline and poor Crystal, you know, she's trying to, like, make this work. She's like, yes, Kyle. You know, I'm sure she's internalizing this, thinking she did something wrong when she didn't. So anyways, (laughs) Garcelle then takes that opportunity to say, well, Crystal, you know what? There's something I've been holding on to for a year. And, you know, that's kind of the moment where she comes out with, look, you know, you had this conversation with Sutton about, I don't know if she names it this way, but like white privilege and her not wanting to take in your experience as a Chinese American woman. And I kind of felt like it was a setup, like no matter what she said, you were going to label her as that girl. And that right there. It's so fascinating to me. I mean, one, that that was Garcelle's impression of that conversation. I mean, if we're if we're to believe what she's saying and that she's been holding on to this for a year. Two, that she chose to bring that in at this moment, right when something's been resolved. And not only that, Crystal's like sitting there, she's been crying, and she's articulating something saying, I've been trying to be heard, and it gets shut down. So then Garcelle brings in something that no one's even debating and basically kind of questions it, minimizes it. You could call it shutting it down, right? And so then that's the moment where Crystal kind of says in her defense, there was a lot that Sutton said that day prior even to that conversation that was dark. And what's interesting about it too is she turns to Kyle and she says, you were there, which to me, it's just interesting. It it feels like Crystal really does believe what she's saying in that moment. I mean, again, I don't, uh, the whole thing's so murky. So Garcelle sort of drops that bomb. It feels like Crystal speaks up to defend her experience. And then 
once again, we find ourselves in this loop now where uh, this is my initial interpretation. Maybe I'm wrong about this and I'm curious about your experience of it. It's like my perception is the real conversation is maybe, wait a second, something's getting questioned here that doesn't feel good or right. Let's talk about that. And instead, the conversation goes to, I was trying to defend myself in opposition to something or in the face of something. I used a word, maybe it was, again, sort of careless in execution, but now we're just talking about the word rather than what Garcelle brought in. And not only that, Garcelle's kind of spearheading with Kyle this contention around my word use and then for me like taking in here it's happening to crystal again here it's happening again everyone telling her she's wrong i'm trying to bring something out now even the thing that last year was validated is getting invalidated and for me as crystal it's kind of like and if i acknowledge that maybe i was careless with the word dark because of the way this is being set up everything gets thrown out the window Mm-hmm. I mean, Sutton even said it at that dinner, the same dinner where she was like giving her a script to recite. At one point, Sutton said, I did nothing wrong that night. And I'm just kind of like, uh, actually, you may not have. I don't know if you said something dark or not, but you did do something wrong that night. And isn't it interesting that now we somehow even get to rewrite the whole thing? Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I'm saying a lot all at once. I just this part of it has been so confounding to me what i'm experiencing is sort of yeah what it might feel like in the middle of that conversation it's like where's the surface and where's the 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 bottom it feels like being tumbled in the in the water where you're like what actually matters here what is it that matters well do you i mean what do you think garcelle's intention was i mean what do you i guess what do you make of garcelle even kind of feeling like you were setting sutton up to be that girl no matter what. And what do you, do you have any sense of Garcelle's intention in bringing that in, in that moment? Well, this is the the feeling that I had. It's like, I think on a subconscious level, Garcelle knows exactly what Crystal meant. Like, I think on a, like on a felt sense level that she's not, maybe not connected with embodied wise, that she knows that something happened and she has a conflict with because oh. her and Sutton have become close. Which I have things to say about, but keep going. So I think this conflict is part of what makes it hard for her to allow what needs to come out because she's going to have to really, this is the way I'm feeling it. It's like, I'm going to have to reconcile the fact that I can be friends with this woman and overlook the parts of her that Crystal is naming as dark, but are just unconscious, a shadow. And it's that feeling of stepping over something like I've, I've resolved this in my mind. I'm okay with what I'm doing here, but on another level, I'm not. And that other level is the one that Crystal is like basically saying, look, until we can put all this out there, you can understand who I am who you are to me, who I believe that I am to you from a systemic level, again, not just on this personal thing, but if we can't clear all that up, there's no baseline for me to actually be able to really trust you. And Garcelle is in a different position where 
I don't know what it is exactly, but it feels to me like I, I think I base this on maybe a, a value judgment that I have. I think our cells priority to really make it like she's resigned herself to having to do the things that you have to do yeah. in this town right. and probably doesn't feel good great about it somewhere, consciously, unconsciously, I'm not sure. But I think it activates that place in her that she skipped over something Mm -hmm. there. Yeah, I mean, again, it it tickles me because we literally talked, I'm sure you don't remember, we literally talked about this last season at the reunion, like just sort of feeling the possibility of Garcelle really wrestling with this question of, am I willing to sacrifice kind of what I have to sacrifice to, to, to sort of stay in this league with this show with these women? Like, what what's the price I'm going to have to pay? And am I willing to pay it? Like I said before, I, my experience over the season is like she's showing up to play ball. Absolutely. And what I pick up on is when those those little setups that happen with her, there's some cruelty yeah. in it. Yeah. And I think that comes from this disowned stepping over something. Like, I, I think it's like the part that knows that it's happening. It's like, oh, I'm in it and I'm going to get you for this. It's like the resentment comes out. Yeah. I mean, I've always I felt that from her for, you know, her first season. Like, you know, she she kind of picked at Kyle a bit. I mean, I'm laughing because it was funny to me. She picked a Kyle a bit her first season. And I remember it, it, it had that flavor of similar to everything that we're talking about today of you, you like rich girl problems. Like you don't know, like you don't know real problems. And kind of like what you're saying, there's a place in me that I've perhaps skipped over because I've I've had to get with it. There are things I've had to shut down to get through and survive. And I think this is obviously where there's a key difference because there is a systemic piece here. This is not a white woman surviving. It's a woman of color surviving her personal struggles and systemic stuff as well layered on top of that. So this is just kind of my way of, of having a similar energetic sense of sort of what you've described of like, there are things in me in putting on my armor, there are choices that I've made and things I've had to skip over. And in that place, yeah, there's some resentment and I can, <laughs> again, I'm laughing because it's mischievous and it's playful and I kind of find it funny, but it's like, yeah, I can get kind of shitty here. You know, I can kind of get shitty here and I can poke around. So everything you're saying makes total sense. Going back to Garcelle and Sutton though, you know, a lot of people have asked, what is it with that friendship? <laughs> and, you know, when I kind of have felt into Garcelle, I think, I think what she really, my guess of what she really responds to in Sutton is that she sees her as an outsider in this group, like the real outsider in the group. And I think, I think she does feel a kinship with her in that way. You know, again, I think obviously for Garcelle, there's the systemic piece, but I think we saw it last season. She literally talked about the difficulty and the pain of what it feels like to be an outsider in a group or in this group. And so I think when she sees Sutton as the oddball, the misfit, the outsider, I just feel in Garcelle a real alliance and kinship with her there. In a sense of, oh, I can trust her. And it's almost like I'm going to have your back almost in the way that she wants someone to have her back. Whether it's actually felt and reciprocated by Sutton, I don't know. But I experience it in Garcelle as like, we have an understanding of what it means to be an outsider in the group. And I'm like, I'm taken up for you as the outsider. The word trust keeps coming in. Like, I can trust you as a fellow outsider in a way that I don't trust anyone else who's on the inside. And I've and I've questioned, too, if there's a way in which Garcelle sees Crystal as more of an insider, even though 
obviously they're both women of color. They are women of different colors. And, you know, I've just been curious about that too. And that's why I get curious too about Crystal's upbringing and whether she sort of grew up with money or not. Because sometimes I do wonder about that. How is Garcelle seeing her? It's interesting because... I get the outsider piece. I I definitely can feel that, but I feel something different. And I'm curious about that because when I tap into Garcelle, I feel a reservation about everybody. I feel like I put my trust in people and I've been betrayed and I will never, ever, 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 ever do that again. And I don't feel the trust. I feel the control. I feel like something around the type of person that surrounds themselves with people (laughs) to not be a target or something. Yeah. I was going to say that that actually is part of what's also come through too. Like there's a safety with Sutton, but to me, that's also connected to her being an outsider. It's like, there's a safety. So I do think there's a power dynamic there. I agree with that. Yes. Sutton's not, yeah, there's a safety there. And, but that for me is part of where the trust lies, if that makes sense. Yes. That, that then yes. I, but to go so far as to say I trust Sutton, you know, if I'm Garcelle, I don't actually connect with that. Either. I don't know that Garcelle, well, this is what you just said. I don't know that Garcelle trusts anyone, you know, yeah. so that's kind of how I feel. But I, I guess what I'm saying, it's like within that construct, there are degrees of trust. And I yeah. feel like, and that's kind of why I'm saying it, it feels almost like, I don't even know if Sutton's aware <laughs> that there's this alliance, but that's what it feels like to me from Garcelle of kind of like in Garcelle's mind. And maybe this actually is kind of speaking to what you're saying. Again, I don't think it's conscious, but an unconscious calculation of like, oh, I'm safe in this corner. I'm with you. You know, it's like the game of, oh, well, here it is again, the word. It's like the game of Survivor, right? It's like there are alliances and there's trust in the alliance. But at the end of the day, they're all trying to get the million dollars for themselves. You know what I mean? And by the way, as I say that, it kind of actually feels true for Sutton, too. I'm with her. You know, it's like we've got each other. I'm the good person. Yes. Talk about I don't see color or whatever it is that she says. It's like there's something there that it's almost like they use each other as a, you know, <laughs> when it, it's in a shootout where somebody grabs somebody else and puts them in front of them. It, it, it To me, it feels like that sort of feeling like Sutton is so unhinged and un. I mean, that oh. whole scene with Diana where she is like, I am a good person. And then it's like she's just gets done saying this one thing about how benevolent and empathetic she is and then calls her soulless or something so dark. And it's like Jekyll and Hyde is happening in the same movement. It's killing me because Sutton is like really adept at finding the right people to be against because I feel like what happens is like she'll speak out against Erica Jane or she'll speak out against Diana. And because her opponents are so unlikable. Well, this is my perception. (laughs) People are like rallying around Sutton and it's like, yeah, it's true. Like, do I like Diana? No, absolutely not. Do I think she was like a complete asshole in that conversation as well? Yes, absolutely. But the truth is, do I think she was right about a lot of stuff that she was saying? Yes. I mean, the truth is, Sutton what did not come into that party concerned about her bed rest. Sutton was making little snotty comments about, oh, I thought she was supposed to be on bed rest, da, 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 da. you know, which in a way is kind of making light of her recent um, losing the baby. And then she sits down and she's like, she makes this passive aggressive comment about, I forget what it was, but it's like, oh, I was just concerned about you for your bed rest. And, you know, Diana's calling that out. And it, I mean, again, 
Anyone listening, this is not in defense of Diana. I get it. (laughs) She is also an asshole. We could have a whole other thing about Diana. But I'm also not going to sit here and say Sutton's right just because Diana is an asshole. I just get so triggered seeing what I see in Sutton, which I agree with your perception. It's like seeing this woman who is absolutely passive aggressive, who absolutely is disingenuous, who absolutely keeps touching Diana when Diana is saying don't touch me anymore who I mean look and I don't know if this is like horrible of me to say and again this is not in defense of Kyle who was absolutely acting like a lunatic in that conversation but I did feel like Sutton was bringing out her own miscarriages it just it was so off like to your point there's this pivot from like I'm sitting here in the corner snickering and judging your relationship to bed rest And now all of a sudden I'm crying tears of empathy trying to relate to you as a human being. It's it's unhinged. But everyone, not everyone, a lot of people, like the internet is very pro-sudden. Are you serious? Yeah, they're very pro-sudden. The general viewership response is people love Sutton. They were against Crystal in that whole thing. People are very anti-Diana and Kyle, but I, I completely understand that. But yeah, no, I feel like I've been kind of in a lone corner just being like, Sutton's a, this woman's a nightmare. She's a nightmare. A nightmare. And Diana, for all her flaws, and she has them, she's not wrong about what she's seeing in Sutton. And look, her delivery isn't very kind or nice, but I look at her character, she's lived through something. I just really feel her as a very specific, I don't know how to describe it, actually. She's an enigma for me because there's something very direct and clear. Like, I feel like she can see people and she's not afraid to say it clearly. But then she's this, her relationship to her money is really, really challenging for me. The way she holds it, the way that she talks about it. And again, it could just be my own value judgments, but it feels so counter to another side of her that she tries to bring in, you know, like, I I mean, I don't know anything about the woman really, except for what I see on the show. So, and so far, it's like, I didn't like, I had an initial place where I didn't like her, but the way that she kind of like, she wouldn't back down like crystal does like she would fight to the death yeah and she to survive no yeah and she shuts down in that place she shuts down and she shuts things down so like that's why i mean again i don't think sutton actually was trying to connect with her as a human being it felt like that was almost a new tactic sutton was trying to take in the face of opposition but you know just the way i mean yeah diana was quite cruel like making fun of her tears and mocking yeah mocking her tears mocking her eye oh little baby you know her defenses go up like you said she's gonna fight to the death and it feels like her number one weapon is kind of like she stonewalls and you're just not gonna you're not gonna get in you're just not. You don't it. reach me. Yeah. yeah. The way, what you're doing right now, it's not it's not touching me. Diana's complicated because there is all this stuff sort of coming out. And again, I know you don't follow any of this, but like, well, they mentioned it a little bit on the show. There's all these rumors about her having run this like sex trafficking ring. I feel like she's a survivor, too. I mean, if we're talking about survival, like, 
what what people do to survive, what they're willing to do, what they're willing to at all cost. She feels like that type of person to me. Oh, for sure. And in that way, she fits in well. But, you know, I guess kind of one of the last things I'll say is, you know, she is an odd fit for this show because she's on such an island like emotionally and energetically and truly I mean I guess to borrow Erica Jane's phrase gives zero fucks and so it is sort of strange to hold her in the ensemble like how do you integrate someone who really doesn't care and kind of feels like she'll kill you if she (laughs) needs to you know I don't think that I don't think she's forming very deep heartfelt attachments with a lot of people i don't think that what do you think her motivation was to be on this oh my god that's such a good question i mean there are two things that came to me first i just kept hearing the word more like somehow that this is a platform for me to create more to earn more build my empire Mm -hmm. like kind of the businesswoman um but then i also felt something around wanting wanting my achievements to be seen like I want to be recognized Mm. for what I've created I want to put I want the world to see my home my clothes my jewelry what I've done like I I I don't know even as I'm saying this I'm hearing a voice it's like I've done something here like I want recognition for what I've done Mm -hmm. yeah a way to get herself seen yeah because it's almost like if we keep kind of tracking that survivor energy in her I mean I think she's been out for herself you know and it's been by herself for herself Mm -hmm. and I think she's done that like we've said to survive I mean, again, I don't know a lot about her history, but if we kind of hold the marriage to the billionaire, let's even just say she's had a sex trafficking ring, which is something illicit and in secret. There's this quality of it to me. It's like behind the velvet curtain. She's been doing her magic behind the scenes. And that feels interesting to me for her. Like, I know how to get things done behind the scenes. Yeah, I was this Bosnian, you know, scrubbing toilets, you know, and I built my way up behind the scenes. And now, like, I was willing to do that because that's what I had to do. And now I I want something recognized. It's like my turn. Look at me now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it might be your downfall. You know, I mean, I don't know how many more skeletons are going to come out of her closet. They always do. I know, as Jen Shaw travels to New York for her trial. Oh, is that happening? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, apparently there's, like, paparazzi shots of Meredith and um, Heather traveling with her to New York for the trial. Her entourage. Apparently this is the new alliance. Apparently uh, Meredith, Heather, and Jen are tight. This is what we have to look forward to next Wow. Oh, that's going to be a good one. (laughs) All right, Piper. Is there any final... Anything you need to say? Do you feel at all clarified? Yeah, I don't have a sense of more clarity, I would say. It's, I think, maybe more of a desire to maybe watch the next few episodes from this this sort of what we've talked about, what we've opened up a little bit more, because it's almost like I haven't really been enjoying it so much because it's so aggravating. And now maybe through what what you've shared and what we kind of talked about, I can maybe look at it from that lens and see if it lands differently. It'd be interesting to sort of talk about it after. Well, isn't it interesting that this theme of survival came in and like the the season actually started with like Dorit's survival of this ordeal, you know, and, and that she's navigating. I mean, actually, isn't that interesting that she's navigating the trauma of survival and you can kind of see it real time. Yeah, and it's like you can, well, at least for me, it's like I've been feeling how it feels like even as she's, I mean, it's exactly what we're talking about. She's ticking all the boxes, doing all the things, but it's felt to me almost like 
I'm I'm just plowing ahead because I want to work through the trauma. But it's it's I want to say actually last episode was the first time I kind of felt like oh maybe this is starting to catch up with her. But all <laughs> this is just to say it's it's just interesting to me like that storyline in some ways feels so emblematic of like this broader theme of what we're talking about of like something's happened I gotta survive let me just compartmentalize push down the trauma do what I gotta do and so okay this is what I'm gonna say so you have an intention to watch after we've talked about this I want to see what happens energetically in this group if I mean this is kind of my vision of what might happen if like Dorit's trauma catches up with her more if it's like a if it's a waking symbol for like the suppressed disowned energy that the group doesn't want to look at is it going to come to the surface if it does how does it manifest yeah Mm -hmm. how does it impact the group yeah because you could say the same about lisa renna with this loss of her mom and also erica the way that those people are experiencing something real time juxtaposition of this thing trying to emerge from maybe more of a like you said like a childhood wound place it feels like there's a lot sort of coming into the the cauldron to Mm. bubble bubble up any any corners or any maybe messy drawers that (laughs) haven't quite seated themselves in their compartments i will be very interested to see what unhinges and maybe that's why this first half of the seasons felt so difficult because it's like we're in that place that like that won't look you know oh there's some clarity yeah i like that and then the last thing the last last thing i'll say is I'm just aware of, I've been aware of Kyle's presence. Something feels different about Kyle's presence this season. I just want to say that in all of this. And I also want to name that I am really loving the energy of Cherie so far. And I hope we're going to see more of her. Yeah. All right. What a, what a, what a deep kickoff to season three. Thank you, Piper, for joining me. I will be back in regular rotation and it seems I'll be having some exciting guests coming down the pipeline. So stay tuned for that. And apologies again for my unexpected hiatus. I'm excited to be back. Thank you guys for being here and I'll see you all next time. Bye. Thanks, Jamie.